Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Welcome to the Compass Church if you're new. And welcome to our series called Apex. You know, we're discovering that the, that the apex, the summit of life, life at its very best, is found in friendship with God. And this series is a study of the 11 months that the Israelites camped at Mount Sinai and how God taught them about knowing him and how we can follow in their footsteps and learn how to actually know this invisible yet very real God in a way that changes us forever. I, w- I want to show you something. I, I have a, a, my first Bible. Uh, when I was a young boy, this was my Bible. Some of you are old like me, and you grew up in the church. You may have had a Bible just like this, green colored, the living Bible. Well, I had this Bible. I owned it, wrote my name in it, didn't read it. That would have been a good idea, but didn't do it back then. Uh, yet, I think maybe a little superstitious, I did keep it by my bedstand. I kept it on the table right next to my bed, and I looked at it a lot. You know, I think it just made me feel good, you know, just saying, I got the Bible near by me. How about that? The one other thing I did with it, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but it's true. Uh, I doodled in it. There were some pages at the back that were blank, and I found, uh, I was a doodler back as a young man, and particularly in my high school years, when I was 16 year old, years old, I had started dating my wife. And I doodled, I'll show you, I got to zoom in on the back page of my Bible. Uh, Rather juvenile, Uh, that was me, all right. So uh, my my wife's uh, maiden name was Giannopoulos. So Jennifer Giannopoulos plus Jeff Griffin. Isn't that cute, huh? Big heart. Didn't intend anyone to ever see this. And here I am showing the whole church. And then you'll notice these letters that were here. This was code. Code for a prayer that I prayed every single night, all right? I'm like, Lord, if you're there, I just have one request, and here it is. So I'll tell you what it is. Lord, I pray that Jennifer and I will spend the rest of our, li- of our lives together. 16 years old. 16-year-olds, you have no business praying a prayer like that. That <laughs> is just wrong. In so many ways. But I was whooped. I mean, when when I fell in love with Jen, I fell head over heels. And I was pleading with God, give me the girl. Give me the girl. It's all I want, Lord. And I I, I just was so in love that uh, that's what I did. Now, here's where it gets really awkward. Uh, Jen was not praying that prayer at this stage in our relationship. In fact, one night back then, uh, I had a bunch of friends over to our house, and Jen was missing. She was there, but we were like, where's Jen? She had gone to my bedroom and was snooping. You know, she kind of saw this as an opportunity to look around my room and get to know me better, and she saw a Bible on the table, and she thought, that's a good sign, and she walked over to it, and she opened it up, and she found this on on the back uh, cover. And so I found her, and she's sitting on the side of my bed looking in my Bible. And I'm like, hey, that's wrong. You should never look in people's Bibles. Close that, you know, hoping that she hadn't stumbled upon this yet. I was too late. She goes, is this me? And I'm like, yeah, who else do you think it was? You know, give me that, you know. And I'm, I'm so embarrassed. She's like, uh, well, what is Lipjaw Strult? 
And I said, that's none of your business. That's what that is. And she says, I think it is my business. If this is me, I want to know what you're saying about me. Uh, not on your life. And uh, <laughs> she tried to get it out of me, but I knew that this was not meant to be read by her or by anyone, and it could be big trouble. So I didn't budge. She uh, was so curious, though, that she was incessant. And she actually started recruiting friends to help her solve this puzzle. And I rested pretty confidently that there was no way anyone was ever going to do it. But one of my buddies, I will never forgive him for this, he figured it out. And he came to, Lord, I pray that Jennifer and I will spend the rest of our lives together. And Jen came to me uh, after discovering it, and she said, Jeff, we need to have a talk. (laughs) You know what we used to call him back then? A A DTR. You, do you know what a, that today's message is actually called DTR? Define the relationship. Define the relationship. And, and sometimes in a dating situation, expectations or commitment level, people are at a different page and they need to talk about it and kind of figure out. And Jen realized that we were in a desperate need of a DTR. She said, Hey, your friend Mike told me what the lip trace means. She goes, you're kind of thinking forever? Well, you know, and I tried to downplay it at that point. Yeah, I was in a good mood that day. I don't know what I was thinking, you know, just. uh, And she's like, Jeff, I thought we were just kind of getting to know each other, just starting to date. Awkward, you know, really painfully awkward. And I was like, I'm sorry, Jen, you shouldn't have seen that. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm a romantic, you know, and unfortunately, you all thought that was so cute when you read that. Jen did not think it was so cute. And it caused a tension in our relationship that contributed to her dumping me. Can you believe that? Sometimes when people are not seeing the commitment level at the same place, it doesn't work. Now, fast forward, we end up together, we're married, and happily so, so no, rest assured. But this DTR was awkward Folks, we're going to have an awkward DTR today, or at least you are with the Lord. I'd say awkward. Maybe it'll be glorious. I don't know. But God's going to share his heart about the type of relationship he's hoping to have with you. And in our closing prayer, you will have an opportunity to respond to him. And you can either say, well, Lord, uh, I'm not sure I was signing up for all that. Or you can embrace him and say, I want it too. Sound good? Prepare for the awkward DTR talk. All right. That being said, we're going to turn in the Bible to Exodus chapter 19. Do you remember this series apex, the study of the Israelites at Mount Sinai, is all a study in the second half of the book of Exodus. So we're in Exodus 19 verse 2. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the base of Mount Sinai and set up camp there. Finally, they're at Mount Sinai. You say, for two weeks, you know, you've been getting there, and we're wondering if we're ever going to get to this mountain. Well, they do finally. But I want to remind you of Rephidim. That was the place of thirst. Remember the place where there was no water? And God miraculously made a river flow from Sinai to Rephidim. And so to do what we see here, to move from Rephidim to Sinai, follow your thirst. 
right to the base of this sacred mountain. And the Israelites arrived, they set up camp, and now God is going to speak to them for the very first time. He's going to do so through Moses. Next verse, then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. And the Lord called out to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the descendants of Jacob, the people of Israel. God says, all right, you've come to meet with me. You've come to hear from me. God says, I'd like to formally begin my communication to the Lord's people. And God gives a message that's three verses long in our Bible. I have come to love these three verses. And I pray you do too. God initiates a DTR and spills his guts, shares his heart in these three verses. Verses four, five, and six. Let me read them. You have seen, God said, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you'll obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the nations of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Folks, let me remind you that these words were spoken to God's people. In those days, God's people took the form of the nation of Israel. They were really not a nation yet. They were a ragtag bunch of refugee slaves, but they're becoming a nation. God sharing his heart to his people. We are God's people today. The, The church is how God's people is organized and expressed, not a nation per se. And so these words that were spoken to Israel are the words God speaks to us today. And what I'd like to do with you is just to go through them phrase by phrase, because they are beautiful. Starting with this first sentence here, God reminds them of what he's done. He's saying, to understand our relationship, take a look at my behavior. You know what I did to the Egyptians who were holding you slaves. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings. This is God describing his rescue of the Israelites out of their slavery. Remember, they were for hundreds of years in bondage to the Egyptians. And God shows up and he goes, you know what I did to the Egyptians? What did he do to the Egyptians? Well, he humiliated their gods through the plagues, demonstrating his vastly superior power. God destroyed the Egyptian army through the Red Sea, collapsing in and drowning them after the people of Israel had passed through. Miraculous fashion, God delivered them from their slavery. The imagery that the Lord chooses to use here, he says, I carried you on eagle's wings. He uses the eagle to describe how he rescued them. You know, the people back then would have... I suppose we don't see eagles as much as they do, but we've seen them on TV at least. One of the most beautiful and dramatic birds. When when an eagle swoops in to get its prey, it is drama before your eyes. And God uses that to show how he rescued them. He swooped in and picked them up and carried them to safety. You know what it reminds me of? I'm a big J.R.R. Tolkien fan. 
And if you've read his books or seen the movies, The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, you'll, you'll see that he uses this imagery a lot. He was a Christian. Many literary scholars think that Tolkien got the eagle rescue theme out of this very verse that we're looking at here. But in those books, there will be the main characters in utter despair and in glorious fashion. What starts as a little dot in the sky gets bigger and bigger, and it's the great eagles who have come to save the day. That drama is your drama and mine. We were doomed. We were enslaved in our sin. Our rebellion against God was causing us to be slaves of the kingdom of darkness, unable to escape. And Jesus Christ came from heaven, swooping down to planet earth. Christ gave his life on the cross as a rescue plan. He took our guilt upon himself and said, the death penalty must be paid. I'll pay it for you. And in doing so, he satisfied justice and made a way for us to be reconciled to God. And so Jesus has carried us in dramatic fashion. We are the damsel in distress. He is our prince who has come to save the day. That is our story. God says, you want to know how I feel about you, what type of a relationship I'm looking for? Start by looking at what I've done. My action is an evidence of my burning affection for you. You, your story is a story of great drama where the one who loves you swept you up in eagle's wings and carried you to safety. Not just to safety. Let's look at this next phrase. Did God just bring the Israelites out and say, okay, go, go, go ahead now. You're free. Go, go on your way. No, God says, I brought you to myself. I brought you to myself. God, in bringing them to Mount Sinai, to the place of manifestation where he revealed himself back then, he shows them, guys, I want you to be with me. I want to be with you. Do you know the heart of God longs to share time with you, to enjoy you, to be with you? Do you know God delights in doing a day together? I was talking to a friend of mine who's going through a divorce right now, and he just said, Jeff, it just got to where my wife didn't want to be with me. And I reminded him, the Lord longs to be with you. Maybe sometimes you feel like nobody really is interested in me. Wrong. God says, I have brought you to myself. I long to be together. Isn't that beautiful? Going on. God says, now if you will. Now this is important. This is a conditional. The Lord is realizing that we've got a choice in this. We don't have to buy into this vision, this relational vision that he has. God's taking the risk. He's spilling his heart, but he knows we've got free will. He's given us free will. And probably the greatest use of our free will is in its application to how we'll respond to God. God says, you can reject me. You don't have to accept this. I'm hoping that you'll say you're in. If you will, conditional, if you will, obey me. The Lord is real clear on this part. We are not peers. As we come together with God, 
we come together with the one who's the king of all kings, the, the sovereign maker of the universe. And in joining him relationally, we surrender or submit to his kingship, his authority. Uh, now, when you trust God that he can lead your life better than you can lead your own life, that becomes a beautiful thing. You say, write my story. Fantastic. I'll, you know the best way to live. I'll just, if I don't get it, if it doesn't make sense to me, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll follow anyways. But if you don't trust God, this is really, really challenging. Because God is saying, I want you to turn the steering wheel of your life over to me. I want you to make decisions based on what I have instructed, not on what you think or desire. God, for the rest of your life, God says, I want to be in charge. We talk about trusting Christ as Lord. That's what that means. That means recognizing his leadership in our lives, to say that I'm not the boss. He's the Lord, not me. He makes it clear, you got to obey me. you got to keep my covenant. You know, a covenant relationship is of the highest order. A covenant relationship. You know, a lot of times friendships just kind of ha- happen uh, organically and naturally. But a covenant, you look each other in the eyes and you pledge fidelity and commitment. A covenant is where there are vows that are made. You know, marriage is a covenant-type relationship where we look at each other and we pledge lifelong fidelity and devotion. When we do so before friends and family, when we sign documents that the government registers, that, that's a covenant. And God says, I want our relationship to be covenantal. I want us to pledge to articulate the nature of our commitment and expectations, look each other in the eye, and vow that we're going to do it. You know, the people who are getting baptized uh, today, or in those, the video, I mean, they were taking that formal step, and they were declaring their vows, if you will. So this thing that happens at Sinai is the establishment of a covenant relationship. God says, if you agree to the covenant, you will be, next, my own special treasure. This is a really cool concept. What's being referred, you say, what is is special treasure? There's actually an ancient principle or uh, thing that kings had that's being referred to here. The, The old Hebrew word is the segula, the special treasure is the segula. And the segula was the crowning possessions of a king. Kings were rich. They had a lot of stuff. People, dignitaries from far off would bring them gifts. And they kind of sorted through their various stuff. And they said, ah, you can put that in the garage. Ah, that, it can go, I don't care. But those gems, those statues, those pieces of art that were of highest value, They called it their segula. They would have a room in their castle that was where the segula was kept. It was fortified, guarded. It was a safe. It was a museum. And when distinguished guests would come over, the king would say, do you care to see my segula? And the people would say, why, yes. And the king would bring him past the guards into that inner chamber and show 
those treasures that he adored above all else. I, I was at a guy in our church's house uh, last week, and he, he said to me, uh, want to see my sports memorabilia collection? And I'm totally into that. And I'm like, yeah! And he had signed baseballs and jerseys and hockey sticks from all the Chicago players. And then he says, come here, you want to see something really cool? And he brings me into this back room, unfinished, and there's a safe. And he starts turning it, making sure I'm not looking, you know. (laughs) Opens it up, and he takes out a baseball signed by Babe Ruth. Can you believe it? And he holds it out. And, you know, I'm like, he's like, no, no, don't touch. Just look. I'm like, okay, okay. And I could just see how he adored this baseball. That's the Segula. And you know who God's Segula is? You. He made the planets. He made the galaxies. He made the mountains. He made the oceans. And he loves it all. But he looks to you and he says, you are my most treasured possession. You are what I adore above all else. I mean, this is hard to take in. Uh, Admittedly, I struggle with internalizing this clearly proclaimed spiritual reality that the Bible describes. And that is that of all the things that God loves, he loves his people the most. And I have a hard time viewing him, you know, you know, taking me and saying, this is Jeff Griffin, my son, whom I adore. But that's what the Bible says. Folks, we need to enter into this. If you've entered into this relationship with the Lord, you need to celebrate the fact that your self-esteem, your self-worth can be founded in the eyes of God, how he views you. You can see yourself each and every day with unbelievable significance because the one who matters adores you. Uh, Just this week, I got an email from a guy in our church who said, Pastor, pray for me. I'm a free agent, is how he described it. He uh, was let go this week. He had a career that was just doing great. And then suddenly his company did an unexpected downsizing and got rid of his whole division, and he's adrift. And I emailed him back trying to comfort him, and it brought me back to the fact that a year ago I was in that position. Uh, I had resigned at my own initiative, but God was so clearly leading me to do so, and one year ago was about the exact time that I resigned in front of my whole church called The Chapel. And that was an interesting, difficult, wonderfully thrilling and terrifying (laughs) because I was adrift. I was hoping to uh, be asked to come here, but I was just one of many, many, many candidates. And so I had no idea if it was going to happen. I was a man without a title. I was a man without a position. And for so many years, I had found my, I didn't plan on it, but it just happened. I had found my self-esteem, my sense of identity in my position. And here I was with nothing. You know what happened back then a year ago? I turned to the Lord to find my self-worth and identity. I go, I don't know who I am, you know, job-wise, but I know, I know this. 
I am the Segula of the Almighty. He loves me. I am a child of the living God. And in those sacredly painful days, I leaned into the love of God to find my identity like I never had before. It was awesome. And now I have to confess that that's slipping a little these days. As I look at what's happened in the last year, I got a title again. I am the senior pastor of the Compass Church, one of the greatest churches in the world. And they seem to like me for the most part. And so it's going well. And I find myself finding my identity in this role once again. And as I prayed about it this week, I saw that drift. And I said, that's not good. I'm not asking to be fired or anything, but I am desiring to go back to that place where all that matters to me, all that matters to me is that the Lord Almighty adores me, that I am his Segula, that I find my identity in how much he treasures me. Let's move on. All right, so uh, from among all the nations of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. Let me just clarify what the Lord's doing right here. All the earth belongs to me. He's, as he talks about these people being his, this nation being his special nation and he being their God, he fears that they will make an erroneous conclusion. Back in these days, the culture was polygamous. They had many gods, and the gods were all isolated to a locality, to a geographic region, a country, a city-state. You know, this city would have their God, and this city would have their God. And God says, wait a minute, don't, don't think that I'm describing that I'm a local deity, because I'm not. I'm the one true God. In fact, all the world, it's not just the land of Canaan that's mine, all the world is mine. I created it all. But you will be my special people. And he says, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. I want to zoom in on this kingdom of priests concept. This is fascinating. Confusing at first. Wonderful when you understand it. God says to his people, I want all of you to be priests. Now, not in the formal sense that the uh, people of Levi would eventually serve, but God says, "In, in a sense, I want all of you to be devoted to my service. That's what a a priest was. A priest was somebody who said, my purpose for existing is to serve the Lord, to help people find him. A priest was a mediator, an intermediate uh, connection, helping people find God. That was their job. I want you to connect with the Lord, and I'm the matchmaker to help that connection happen. I'm going to serve in the temple. I'm going to serve with worship, serve with the sacrificial system. I just want to present the law and help people understand who God is. And God says, you know what? This kind of fits the whole, when he says, the whole earth belongs to me. God says, you are my segula, my treasured people, but that doesn't mean I don't care about the rest of the world. I do. In fact, I want all of you to be priests who help them find me. I want all of my people to be servants of mine that are going to this world, helping them discover my grace and life with me. And so all of us, if if you're signing up for this deal, 
God says, you're going to be a priest. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to be a priest. I'm the, you're the pastor. You know, I'm not the pastor. I'm not clergy. In one sense, if you understand what the Lord's asking you to do, you are. You are devoted to his service, living to advance his kingdom. That's the goal of God. I got a dear buddy of mine who's been a friend of mine since high school. His name is Bob. Bob uh, installs garage doors. How's business, Bob? I always ask him, how's business, Bob? And he's like, eh, I don't know, it's kind of up and down. That's, that's garage door humor there for you. And yet, if you were to talk to him and say, tell me about your passion for garage doors, he'd say, hey, this just pays the bills. My passion is Jesus Christ. Bob, and it's evident in his life, he, he just is grateful for his job because it pays the bills. He can give money to see it converted into kingdom advancement. He can use his job as a place to connect with people and have spiritual conversations. He serves in the church. Bob gives unbelievable hours to the service of his church. Bob is passionate about being God's hands and feet and helping people. He's opened up his home. He's got four kids of his own, but he's opened up his small home to people who are homeless and in need many times, at times for a whole year. Bob is passionate about helping lost people find Jesus. He wakes up each day and his mind is, I'm a priest, I'm a priest. How can God use me this day to advance his cause? And that's what God's looking for. He's not looking for people who just say, oh, you know, I'm just a church attender. I go once a week, you know. I sit there for an hour unless he goes long. And that, that's it, you know. And God's wanting people whose whole lives, you know, the Bible says that he died for us. Let's live for him. That's what God's looking for. How does this strike you? You know, for some, you say, I am Yes, that is what I want. God, I want you to be my everything. And others are like, whoa, 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 whoa. That seems a little fanatical to me. You know, you're like my wife when, when she saw that page in my Bible, you know, forever. She's like, woo, I thought we were going out on some dates here. You're freaking me out. What's interesting with Jen, by the way, is that that very page that freaked her out so badly at one point. As she fell in love with me more and more, that page eventually became precious to her when it represented her commitment as well. In fact, it's not in this Bible. Uh, she cut it out and put it in a frame that sits on her dresser all the time looking at it. And it's funny how that can happen. That's kind of how it was with God and I. When I first discovered that he wanted me to take up my cross and die for him, to be obsessed with him, I was like, holy cow. I just thought I wanted to be a nice Christian American, living the American dream and doing a little Christian thing on the side. And God said, oh, I was looking for so much more. And at first I, I was freaked. But the more I saw his beauty, his glory, the more he won my heart. And I came to a place where I said, oh, I'm so glad you were looking for this. That's what I want too. I'm in. 
and I surrendered my life. And now it's not doing it perfectly. I live out that relational expectation well on days, and I struggle and repent. But that vision is what I'm in pursuit of, and I pray you are too. So, you ready for your DTR? Define the relationship. The Lord has spoken at Mount Sinai. Uh, can we go back to the big verse? The, the Lord has said, you know, I, here, here's my heart. Uh, God says, you've seen what I've done. Look at my behavior. Look at the cross. Dramatic rescue. Uh, you see that I want to be with you. I've brought you to myself. God says, I want to know, are you interested in obeying me? God says, are you interested in vowing eternal devotion and fidelity? God says, I want you to be my special treasure, my segula, my most cherished possession. God says, uh, I want you to be my kingdom of priests, servants of mine, passionately devoted. God says, this is what I'm looking for. And you can respond to him. In prayer, you can say, God, sorry, fascinated, not interested. And you can break the heart of God. Better to be honest and break the heart of God than to say it and not mean it. Or you can say, God, I am so honored by this vision for us that you have. Amen. So let's bow our heads. And if you're ready to say you're in to God. Silently pray with me. If you're not ready, just listen, and maybe one day you will be ready. Lord, for some, we're praying this for the very first time. We have never submitted to your lordship. We've never embraced you as our all in all. For some, we're saying we're in for the first time. Lord, we're in. We want what you want. God, we want to be your segula. We want to be your most treasured possession in all the universe. We want you to be our Lord, our King, our Master. We will die to our own wisdom and desires and follow you. We want to be your priests, your kingdom of priests. We want to live our lives in service to you and your cause. God, thank you for your love for your rescue, for your guidance, for your treasuring of our pathetic souls. Thank you for this amazing grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.